0: Listen to Spurs Cast, Episode 519. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me for this episode will be Project Spurs' Colin Reed in studio. Colin, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. So the other night when the Spurs were playing uh, in Milwaukee, you had a had a tweet uh, that you were there at the game. How was that, man?
1: Uh, I was there. It was awesome. It was a great game. I was uh, when I was up there. I just wanted to be a competitive game. It's a new stadium. It's a new arena. I was there with some buds that like the bucks and uh i was really worried after the first like five minutes that it was just gonna be a 30 point game the whole way but it was close and it was actually awesome to see that that uh crowd get so engaged it was an awesome stadium too Uh,
0: i would that's uh last you know when i I had to record by myself because it was thanksgiving week so i couldn't really i don't want to really bring anybody on just because it was it was such a hectic week for everyone um so i had to record by myself but uh one thing I brought up was, like, I thought, too, they were going to get slaughtered at San Antonio because Milwaukee stats were just off the chart at home. I mean, they were just, like, a completely dominating team. And San Antonio actually made it a competitive game uh, there, and you were there, obviously, to, to witness it and, and, and see it, that kind of environment um, with the Spurs on the road. So, Colin, let's go ahead and begin by recapping the last five games since I last recorded the Spurs cast. Um, you know, right now in, in November and December, the Spurs have like a million games. So it's almost like every night there was a game the other day I was at, I was at, a, I was at one of the Spurs home games and Jeff McDonald, uh, just kind of, he was a express newsbeat writer. He basically had had like some sort of like comment. He's like, yeah, we don't get a break. Basically. There's no two days off until like Christmas time. Like it's like, and I, and I, I he made me like, cause I wasn't thinking that long term about it in December because November's just felt like a grind almost every night they play. And then sure enough. Yeah. They don't, they don't have two days um, straight off until like that, that December, um, late December time frame. So, let's begin just with a quick recap of what happened in, the, in these last five games. Uh, on Wednesday in San Antonio, the Spurs lost by one point to the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, this was a close game throughout. Obviously, it was a very controversial game because the a day Lamarcus Aldridge got, got one last three point attempt and Marcus out, Al, Marcus all did foul him. However, the NBA the refs did not call a foul at the moment, so the Spurs ended up losing by one, which that foul could have sent Aldridge to the free throw line for three free throws. So then the next day, obviously the the team puts out I think it was on Thanksgiving actually yeah the team puts out their um not not the team uh, the NBA puts out the the press release that says uh, the last two minute report that that Gasol did foul Aldridge and he should have um you know call, uh, he should have been called for a foul so. In a way, obviously that that could have probably been a Spurs win, but again, you know, it's something that that I say is you can't by by playing in all these clutch close games, these these clutch games which the Spurs have been doing, you're putting the refs, you're you're putting your your life on the line with with the referees possibly being the reason why you lose. So so for the Spurs, I mean, as much as it, it was really it wasn't good that 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 they got the wrong call. It's almost like try your best not to go down by you know getting get those those five minute crunch time games. Um, then on Colin on Friday they they went to Indiana. Victor Oladipo and, and uh, Miles Turner did not play in this game, so the Spurs had a comfortable win by 11 points. Um, then on Saturday, the game you were at, the Spurs were in Milwaukee. They lost by six points in a game where they did trail by 15, but it was a little bit more competitive than than we thought for on the second out of back to back for San Antonio. They had a chance there. Then on Monday, they barely beat the Chicago Bulls in Chicago. They won by one point. There was two possessions where the Bulls could have basically won the game, but they, they they didn't sink the shot. Again, the Spurs put themselves basically in a coin flip game where you're playing heads or tails. Do we win or not because they can't they can't close out these close games? Or they put themselves in those situation. And then the most recent game, which we'll talk a little bit more about in detail, was Wednesday at Minnesota. The Spurs got clobbered. I mean, they lost by 39 points in a game where they were down by 48. Let's just talk a little bit more about this game, since this is the most recent one. Um, Pop made a change at the beginning. He put Derek White in the starting lineup instead of Dante Cunningham. Uh, the Spurs kept it kind of competitive up until, I'd say, the 9:29 mark of the second quarter. This, the Wolves went up by 11, and then it was over. They basically <laughs> won 11, went all the way to, up to 48 at one point. I mean, it was just bad. And, and, you know, we basically knew it was over. At halftime, they were down 23. Yeah. They ended up going about 30, 40 in the second half. Uh, they they had they had a nine point second quarter. The Spurs' offense nine points in a quarter, um, but you know you have to give the Wolves some credit. They the, they have had statistically the best defense in the league since Jimmy Butler got traded. So Robert Covington's getting a lot of praise right now for for how he's helped guide that that defensive team. So kind of putting in those those last five games plus that that Wolves game in more detail. What what have been your thoughts on the Spurs? Is they're ten eleven right now this season?
1: Yeah. So obviously. Uh... The defense has been a concern, like we talked about. Uh, The last time I was on the podcast, at the very beginning of the season. Um, But, you know, just looking at these last five games in particular, you know, it's to the Grizzlies, and it was a game they very well could have won against the Bucs, again, a game they could have won. The Wolves game, obviously, like we said, they lost by so much that they weren't even in that game. But those are three honestly good teams right now and I know that sometimes it can be easy to think about like oh well look at where the Grizzlies were last year you know and like this season they've been doing really really well they I know they were at the top of the west for a while the standings are changing every mm-hmm. single night that it's hard yeah. to know where they are um the Bucks are have been amazing at home but uh, just in general they've uh, I know at least at one point last week they had like the number one offensive efficiency and like the number four defense like they're, they're playing really well, and then the Wolves, since the trade, have been so much better, even on defense, which was you know one of Jimmy Butler's strengths, but I think just having maybe a couple of capable wings and just getting all of that Jimmy Butler stuff behind them. So I know it's not what fans want to hear, because the Spurs, I think, are in this period of their franchise now where they're not the team that's going to like beat everyone. They're not going to win 60% of their games, and I know there are no moral victories, but you're going to have to look at some of these games and be like, okay, the Spurs lost by one possession to the Grizzlies who are doing really good, maybe that means they can build on something for the future. You know, like it, that's kind of the point that the Spurs are at right now with not only the injuries, but just the newness of the, the players and their defensive issues. You're just having to think like, okay, they were in those games and that has to be good enough.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where, where we see their overall standing. So like I mentioned, they're 10, 11 as, as of a, uh, what is tonight, Thursday night that you and I are recording this. Um, they're they're 13th in the west when you look at the standings. However, they're just one game behind 8th place. They're only one game out of 8th place because we've seen, you know, how 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 bunched up the west is right now. No one's running away with the conference. 1 through 14 unless you're Phoenix, you're not you're in the conversation for the playoffs regardless. So the Spurs are right there with all those teams like you mentioned, you know, they're on track right now to win 33.8 wins uh win uh 33.8 game should I say according to cleaning the glass they're 12th offensively at best are like their top 10 offense mm-hmm. uh and then 25th defensively again that's that that area that you and I talked about early in the season and they just haven't they haven't put a consistent run together early on when they when pop first inserted Dante Cunningham they had like a seven game stretch where they, they were actually like the best defense in the league mm-hmm. but that's kind of slowly faded and it's not working obviously you can tell because pop went to changing it up already by putting Derek White in um, also something that we should probably take into consideration is that November is on the schedule, their toughest month, just because of it had the most road games and it had four back-to-back sets. So, like, you know, I, I talked about me just being fatigued. I'm not even on the court just having to cover games each night. Uh, you know, imagine the players, you know, they're, they're going through that grind of November. Now, it doesn't get that much easier in December, even though there's more home games, and then also for January um, and February too. But, um, you know, you, you, there's there's it's so weird because this is basically a 500 team because – there's the there's the optimistic part that you just mentioned right there. You know they almost beat Milwaukee, they almost beat Memphis. You know good teams, which is true, but then there's the the other side of like oh they're they're they they're on track for the 11th pick in the draft, and you know one more loss and they could be 14th in the West, and you know it's just. It's basically, and it's, and you're right, it's a tough adjustment, not just for the fans, but for for us media as well. You know, we're so used to to the Spurs consistently being this good team, and we can kind of pencil in wins, you know, looking at, at the schedule. And now, you know, I, I recently wrote a piece on Monday about how even 400 teams, they can't beat teams that are winning 40% of the games. They have so much trouble with that, and that's almost the whole league. And so there are no, no, no guaranteed wins anymore. I mean, they've lost to Phoenix, they almost lost to Chicago. It's just the Spurs are in a weird place right now, and I think that it's almost like that facing that reality is, is what's so hard to come to grips with for, for all people that, that you know watch the Spurs.
1: Right, yeah, and, and this is kind of something uh, Pop brought up recently about a player that I can't remember off the top of my head, but he mentioned mm-hmm. how the second year is usually when people kind of really start getting into their group with the Spurs just because, you know, uh, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss wrote an article for The Athletic a while back about play calls and, like, advanced scouts and stuff, and he had mentioned how Pop would, like, call plays that, like, he hadn't used since, like, 2007, you know? Oh, like, wow. they have this, like, really deep playbook. I think Rudy Gay even mentioned that about, um, and I can't remember who wrote this. It might have been Javar Young with The Athletic, about uh, Patty Mills would do a play call, and it'd be like, Rudy would be like, I have no idea what that play call is. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and, oh, it was Rudy. That, it was Rudy, yeah. yeah. So he's the one that, yeah, but that's true for DeMar right now too, you know, and so many players on this team are new. So it's one of those things that as hard as it is to say, it's it's almost like it, this is a wait and see. They could sneak into the playoffs this year and it'll be close, but I think that really fans need to start like keeping their eye on next season when DeJounte comes back, when DeMar is more into the system, maybe they can do something this summer. And I think that's what the Spurs are really putting all their emphasis on right now. They're obviously trying to when they're doing, like, development, not of young players, but of, like, their current roster for next season. And I think with how so, next season goes will determine. A so lot. it's almost
0: like stay as competitive as you can right now, mm-hmm. but don't, you know, sacrifice the future, but also kind of think of this as a two-year plan. Almost right. like a two-year season. That's an interesting thought and it, and it makes sense. I mean, you you've heard um, you know, Pops continue to stay patient. He's like basically saying it's almost like building from a new foundation. They don't have that type of foundation anymore. Um, I think it was your piece this morning that came out where you talked about I think pa- who was it? You said Patty Mills uh, LaMarcus, and there was one more player, Davis Bertans, are the three longest tenured Spurs. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. LaMarcus just got here a few years ago, and Bertans just came from Europe. I mean, yeah. So, so, so that, that's a good point. I mean, th- those are the two different lenses you have to look at. I mean, obviously, fans don't want to hear that because that's not fun when you're saying, you know, fans either want two things: they either want contending team, or they want tanking and getting your uh, getting Zion. What's his name? Zion Williamson, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So, getting getting the number one pick. That's that's basically what they want. But really, I mean, if you're looking at the way this roster is constructed and if you think that, you know, if you think pops in it for at least another two years, then maybe that's what it is. It's more like a two-year plan. See how good this team can be next year with the fully healthy DeJounte Murray, a year three of Derek White, year two of Lonnie Walker. And then, you know, you still have LaMarcus, you still have DeRozan. Rudy can probably come back financially. It works out that way. And then you have a little bit more flexibility because obviously Pal Gasol's contract can be can be traded or or, or waived uh, in the summer. There's some cap room. You can bring over Nikola Milutinov. All these different options. Anyway, they are going too far in there. But yeah, that, that's a good. I think that's something we a lot of people need to do is kind of look at, at that two year time frame. Um, it, maybe that's where you look at, at, at the direction of this team. Um, let's go to go go. Colin can still take talking about this season though. Uh, let's go on to topic two and that's Pal Gasol. Uh, he's, he's missed 12 straight games already. And, and the team basically said it's been cause of left foot soreness is what they put on the injury report. Um, you know, in San Antonio and I've seen him at games, he's always been in a walking boot lately. And that doesn't, you know, when, when you're a foot sore, that doesn't sound like you need a walking boot. So it's a little bit more than that. So it turns out it was, um, before the Spurs played the, the wolves on, on a Wednesday, uh, Coach Pop told the media that Pal Gastel is basically out indefinitely. He says he's out with a stress fracture, so it does sound like like it is more serious, and that that, that obviously requires the walking boot. So, um, you know, there's two frames of thought with Pal being out now. There's, you know, this, I'm going to read you some numbers right now that show that they do miss him and they need him. But then there's the flip side of, you know, at least they still have Yal Caperto who's, been, who's been playing pretty decently uh, with Pal out, and and you know what, we know that if Pal gets healthy, then it's going to be hard for Perto to find minutes. So, so let's first talk about the loss of Pal. Um, in nine games this year, he's he's averaging 17 minutes, scoring 6.8 points, 6.1 rebounds, 3.3 assists, and one block. He is elite in terms of assist percentage, turnover percentage, and defensive rebounding percentage. He's a good shot blocker still, even at his age. Um, they're basically, statistically, they're like a 47-win team with him on the floor this season. Obviously, very small sample size, only, I think, 157 minutes or possessions, something like that. Um some other things to note that I, that I noticed this past uh, this past week is I wrote my, my volume 2 of, of the 10 games evaluation that I write, and I noticed that they saw a, a, uh, an increase in, in attempts from the from the opponent at the rim and also um, in accuracy at the rim. So teams are attacking them in the last 10 games more so um, at the rim, and I think that that's reflective because even the data shows that with Powell out. Uh, when Powell's there on the court, teams are attacking the rim 2.8% times uh, less and their, their accuracy drops by 4.4%. So it shows that when Powell's there, the, the rim defense is, is better. Now, uh, let's go to the flip side of who's taking his minutes, and that's obviously Jakob Pertl. Um Since Powell got injured, ya- Jakob's been averaging 13.7 minutes, averaging 6.5 points, so kind of matching Powell's scoring in a different way. But less rebounds, 4.7. Obviously, he doesn't have the passing skills of Powell, the, the assist, the block percentage isn't there, none of that stuff. Uh, with Jakob, they're about a 42-win team with him on the floor Offensively, they're they're plus five point eight um, points per one hundred uh, better, and then defensively, they're giving up more points plus one point six. One set I wanted, I wanted to read about Powell is um, offensively they're plus five point one points per one hundred, but defensively he's better. They're better with him defensively, which is you know that's not what Powell's known as. They're, they're one possession um, better. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, their defense gets better basically. So anyway, with Pirtle. Teams are are, are um, seeing a decrease of uh, minus 1.1% attacks at the rim. However, they're seeing a plus 7.5% uh, increase in accuracy when, when Pirtles the center uh, under the rim, and that, that, that ranks him in the third percentile, and that's very bad. I mean, so so that's kind of uh, – what are your thoughts right now on, on Powell and, and just kind of his injury, even though we don't know how long he'll be out?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm thinking that the Spurs really miss Powell. You know, seeing what they did – I think that this is almost kind. This season so far has almost like been the vindication campaign for some of these players that have drawn a lot of um, ill reputation from from some fans about like oh you know Powell doesn't play well enough or Patty doesn't play well enough like I this might sound crazy I don't know where this team would be without Patty right now
0: yeah oh no statistically I, I talked about this a week ago on the podcast he 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 and Rudy Gay are the only two players on the road that have a positive net rating or they were as of last week.
1: Yeah, and, and Pop just called him out for being a leader last year. I mean, he's the only active player on the roster that Pop mentioned, you know? I mean, I guess LaMarcus, he said he's come a long way in that, but, you know, Patty, he said Patty and Mono were the two biggest ones. So, you know, both him and Pau are kind of getting some vindication this season. You know, as you're talking, though, I really realized what's interesting, and I don't know what you would do with Dante Cunningham in this situation, is that I think the starters are the ones that are missing Pau. I think that, like, LaMarcus plays really good with him. I think having that other creator on the floor would even help Demar. I think that, you know, looking at the lineup numbers, and it just takes one bad game for this to change, uh, Bertans and Pirtle are actually playing really well together, and okay. I feel like having Gasol in the starting lineup actually could do a lot of good, like I said, I don't know what you'd do with Cunningham in that situation, but it's, it's weird that it's actually the starters that miss him, you know, I mean, I almost feel like he's, he's in this position where if he was playing, he might have earned his starting job back, you know, last night it might not have been Derek White coming into the starting lineup, it might have been Pau coming into the starting lineup and being the center. So it's just, it's one of those things that I do think they really miss him. And it, who knows how long they'll be gone. But I think that Pearl's getting more comfortable with the system. And as he develops, I think that, you know, he's not going to be a passer like Powell is. But I think he'll he'll help mitigate some of what they're missing.
0: And, okay, so so this is interesting. Um, this is kind of where we, we have a little bit of a disagreement. I'm not for going back to traditional 4-5 basketball with two big men. Although, I will give you this. I feel like and a lot of people have written this. Lamarcus is struggling without Powell. He needs him there for those high-low passes. I mean, just getting him to space the floor a little bit better. Um, because even though because Aldridge is the only five right now out there in different lineups, and he doesn't space the floor, so he makes it when he doesn't have the ball, he doesn't make it any easier on himself. But I do feel like offensively, we, the Spurs could get Lamarcus going a little bit better if they did have Powell. I just don't see. I'm past that point now in, in 2018, where I don't think that that traditional four or five lineups work anymore in today's NBA. I feel like you have to have the uh, quick, you know, the, the, the defense. It's on the defense where I think that Powell would struggle. I, I, I like him as a, as a five, but not next to LaMarcus uh, on defense. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he would have popped by now. I think that he would definitely try a lot of different things. Um, and then, you know, Pertle, again, when Powell does come back eventually, Pertle's probably going to go back to the bench because, like, like I just mentioned, all the stats basically say that that he's not as efficient as a Powell. And you brought up a good point where they're, Patty and Powell are getting some vindication because, I mean, you know, the, the last before the pop announced that Powell's going to be out, a lot of my mentions daily, whenever I put out the injury report, oh, Pagasol's out again, Pau Gasol's out again. Fans started asking me, when's he coming back? When's he coming back? What's what's up? I'm like, did you did you guys want this guy treated? So, <laughs> in a way, you're right. It is a little bit of vindication for him. Um, you know, his, his contract can still obviously be moved because of the number. It's at. And it, the fact that it could be treated almost like a half expiring because it has a little bit of guaranteed money for next season. But, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting... Uh, idea. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past Pop, though, to, to put him back in the starting lineup. That's, just, that's definitely something I could see. Um, so, so who knows? I mean, especially since he's still experimenting, he obviously, he saw something in that current starting lineup that he didn't like because he would not have put White in if, if he didn't like what he was seeing before then. And I think it, part of that it has to do with the 20-game sample size. I mean, we're through 20 games now, and that, that starting lineup, I mean, just the team isn't there where, where you want them, so I feel like maybe that's why Pop was trying to see, you know, what else can I do with this team? And maybe, you know, maybe going back to Powell would have been um, an option. Let's go again to our third topic, Colin, and that's uh, the return of well, I guess it's the introduction of Lonnie Walker IV. Uh, he didn't really play in the preseason. He got hurt in his only game in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, Lonnie Walker IV. He's not quite back with the San Antonio Spurs, but he is uh, basically making a fully healthy recovery. He's going to be starting. He's going to start playing games with Austin to kind of get his legs under him. Uh, we don't know how long he'll be there with Austin in the G League, but he, but he's basically going to start playing with Austin. Friday um, Friday's his first game in, um, with the. Uh, I was about to call him the Toros with the Spurs. The Austin Spurs. So, you know, looking down the line, let's just say once he starts playing more G League games and the Spurs feel that he's fully healthy uh, and they eventually bring him back to the San Antonio Spurs, where do you you see him as a player who's going to get some sort of a role, get some minutes, or... That's the first question. The second, like, who do you think is that player that he's taking minutes from if, if he does get minutes?
1: So, you know, historically, that would be a no for this season on him playing very much. Uh... But this isn't a season like the Spurs have had before. And looking at I think you had mentioned this earlier on Twitter. I think that it would have to be Derek White. But the problem is, I think they're really trying to develop White. You know, he just came back from this injury. He hasn't played very much with the system. And I think he's shown, like, a lot of promise in terms of the skills he has. And so if I were the Spurs, not prioritize him over Lonnie Walker, but you really need to start, like, making sure you're putting the time in to develop White. Like, just giving him some run and then pulling him off isn't doing any good. And the numbers are showing that he's doing alright with the bench, Um, White is. So I think that what's going to happen, because it happens with every Spurs rookie that has potential, is that he's going to play a little bit, some garbage time, then in a couple months when people are resting, he's going to get a lot more time, he's going to score a whole bunch of points... And then he's gonna like do the normal rookie thing where he's not playing much or going to the G League, and every single night people are gonna be like, Where's Lonnie? He scored like twenty points that one night. I think that's gonna be the kind of season he has. That's just the kind of season that rookies normally have with the Spurs. And even though they need help this season, I just I think that, that is bet on that, not the other way. <laughs>
0: yeah, I I agree with you. I think I think it's White White who who could have his minutes slashed because of Lonnie's return. Um you know he's just he. You know let me let me go up to the minutes real quick uh, between the three guards. You know obviously we know DeRozan's getting his minutes, so he ain't losing no minutes. But uh, Pat, you know White's playing eighteen point two minutes per game. Uh, Brent Forbes twenty eight point three. They definitely need him out there in the starting lineup for the shooting, his outside spacing, and then Patty Mills twenty five point six. And you and I talked about how good Patty's been. So White is interesting. So I looked it up, and you can almost see it by the eye test. It's like. If he shows real early progression, Pop will keep him in and give him a chance. But as soon as he makes a mistake, or like one or two mistakes, he's out, and that's it. Like, he might, he may play five or six minutes, and that's it. Like, even Minnesota, for example, he started, and he only played 11 minutes the whole night. Like, that was it. Like, he, he didn't, it didn't go well, and Pop put, went back to Cunningham, and then the game was already over. But anyway, um, talking about White, like, he's, he's played less than 15 minutes in five of his 12 games this year. Five of his 12 games, less than 15 minutes. So that's how you can tell, again. He almost reminds me a little bit of like how Pop would treat like Danny Green and early Tony Parker, where like if the, as soon as they made a few mistakes, that's it. Their night was over. He'd pull them out. That's kind of the treatment that I see that, that Derek White's getting early, and I think that it's frustrating for Pop because he knows how good Derek White can be. He saw how he played against Houston early on in the year. He saw the progression he made uh, in the summer. Um, and even last year with with the Austin Spurs, so we we know that on Derek White's best game, he's he's a huge improvement for the Spurs team, and that's kind of what I think what frustrates Pop is that he wants that version. And even statistically, there they he is the defensive rating is their best when they have Derek White on the floor. They're like the, they're like an eighth ranked defense, and you can tell him mean, he's six five, has good fundamentals, knows how to you know has a good foundation, but. Again, if if he's starting to struggle and not getting consistent minutes from Pop, he has to be worried because, because, because if Lonnie Walker's healthy, I think Pop would give him a shot, whether it's wherever Derek White was gonna play that night. Um, I, I could definitely see that. Or maybe somebody like Brent Forbes has like a few turnovers or miss you know, makes a few errors. Maybe Pop gives gives Walker his his minutes um uh, you know something like that. I, I could see that for Walker. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he's gonna be an impact player early on and, and I just don't see again from from a rookie uh for the Spurs. Moving on to our next topic Colin and that's uh that's the defense obviously I talked about how you know that's just not a good area of the floor for them um 25th cu- coming into this podcast that you and I are recording um I, I did my my piece on um on, on Tuesday like I mentioned the 20 game evaluation and you know a lot of play- areas in the defense they haven't been very good at a rim like I mentioned earlier with power down rim accuracy and frequency from opponents is increasing teams are attacking them more on the inside teams are shooting un, un, r- ridiculous against at the mid range against them. And it's weird. Cause you want to give the, the team the mid range, but yet the Spurs are allowing 44% of those shots to be made against them, which is 29th. of what they were last ranked. And then lastly, their, their three point percentage had had, had, had frequency and accuracy had, um, had, t- had actually had slightly gotten better, like from like horrible to, to bad, which is good. I mean, it's progress, but then on Wednesday, they allow 18 three pointers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> so, so I think it was still bad. Um, my question to you, though, talking about defense is, you know, the, the, the place where they can get some sort of upgrade is obviously communication, more time on the film room, more, you know, just getting, like you mentioned, getting more experience together. That, that's going to give you a few, a few notches better in terms of getting, uh, coming back down uh, defensively. And then maybe if he gets better, you know, more consistent, Lonnie, uh, Derek White is the guy who, who we, we feel that can probably make a difference on the defensive end. But outside of that, they're not. They just don't have the personnel to be a top ten defense anymore. And obviously, we see that's the area of weakness. You know, it's just the glaring weakness right now. So I wanted to ask you: Do you think there's anyone out there in the trade market that that could be available that's going to help this team? And, and some some names that I wrote down. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying they're available. I'm just saying that these are players who are on on last year of their deals, so they're expiring contracts, um, and, and they're they've have a de- defensive reputation. A uh, guy who I wrote now was Demari Carroll, with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, he's making 15.4 million this year. He's a free agent next year, so they're gonna Brooklyn's gonna lose him. Uh, defensively, his stats this year aren't good, but last year he was, you know, Brooklyn was better defensively with him. George Hill, the Cavs, uh, he's making nineteen million. Um and and uh this year, he's not good defensively, the stats show, but last year he he, he was, you know, or not last year, but the year before that, um, when he was with Utah, he was good. So I think that if, if he's in the right situation, he's a good defender uh, and he's buying in. And then uh, he's not available yet, but Trevor Reza might be available if the Sun's cute, you know, not being good, uh, being 15th. Uh, he's making $15 million a year. Now, um, those are just because I'm trying to look at, I, I went through literally every roster and I, I went through, I'm trying to find wing defenders, whether you're a, a small forward, a, a shooting guard, a point guard. Um, I just can't find anyone that's available. Either Either those defensive players are out there on good teams right now, teams yeah. that are in the playoff hunt, so they don't want to trade them, or it's just like, you know, you're. it's almost, I, I just can't find anyone. Like, yeah. what do you think about that?
1: Well, you know, you mentioned earlier, if the Spurs would have lost one more game, they'd be in the 14th spot. And I think that actually has been a huge hindrance to them even finding anyone because they're... Are no sellers in this trade market right now? Um, you know, normally, you know, everyone came into the season thinking the Kings wouldn't be very good. They're not going to be looking to trade anyone right now. They're yeah. going to see if this is sustainable. The exactly. only team in the West that could even be a seller is the Suns. So then you look to the East, um, and the Knicks and the Nets don't want to take on any long-term money. So, mm-hmm. like, what can the Spurs trade to get anything in return? Uh, the Cavs are willing to take on long-term money, so that George Hill becomes an option. And you know, I think scheme is probably a bigger deal for him than anything. I think. His numbers are probably worse because of kind yeah, of the situation. exactly. And so the only teams I'm even thinking that would even work would be, um, and I haven't looked at the rosters up and down. Like you have the Cavs and the Hawks, exactly. And, yeah, and uh, I mean, I, guess, I mean, there's
0: Bazemore. Like they could look at Bazemore. I don't know if he's you know if his numbers defensively are that good. Yeah. Uh, but again, you'd have to eat an extra year of his deal. Like he would have two years on his deal, not yeah. not one year.
1: And I mean, I, I don't know how the only like, and I don't know the Hawks roster very well. I don't know how. Uh, well Lynn has been since his injury I don't mm. know if, if he's even like a defender that would be plus for them or anything but I mean I, George Hill's the only person because it's really only those two teams that really the Spurs could even make a trade with and,
0: and even like those those three players that I mentioned George Hill and Ariza a, um, you know DeMar Carroll if, if they were to even engage in those conversations the only player financially that works with those deals is Powell and you know people want Powell to come back right now they're missing Powell but you probably have to move him and you and you'd have to attach it pick to him because he he does make six point seven million next year. You do the Spurs can't just trade him up straight up. You got to give some sort of asset. Um, and then the Spurs assets, I just don't see that many on their roster right now. I mean, um, you know, if, if we're saying that that uh, you know obviously Demar's untouchable probably um, in, ter- in terms of the trade market. Then I, I just look at Powell's contract again: 60.8, 6.7 guaranteed. Probably attaching a second rounder. Maybe after de- uh, December 15th, uh, a player that, that's good for Santo Davis Bertans is an attractive piece to other teams. Good shooter off the bench, you know. Um, teams could use him. And his contract's only $7 million for two years, so he's on a good deal. Jakob Purdle's interesting just because uh, he, he's making $2.9 this year, million, and he's on his rookie deal steer, still. And if you think of the, the big man for the Spurs, they have Lamarcus, they have Powell. Uh, Powell could just be this season or even still play next season with them. They have uh, Chemezi Metu there now. And then they also have Nikola Milotinov who's playing very well overseas in Europe and RC Buford was just recently there scouting him. So, I mean, you're going to have five centers in a league where you can, you can only play two a night. So, so that's something they could look at too is, is, but then again, we don't know his trade value of pearls and for, for other teams. And then of course that maybe if they had to look at moving a first round pick, the, the Toronto pick, the 30th pick you mentioned earlier, because that's looking like it's not going to be very high, that the Raptors are good. So again, I don't see the assets either. They're going to get you any kind of impact player. And I, you know, I, I do get the mentions a lot on Twitter, too, about hey, make a trade, make a trade. Well, then Who are they going to trade, and then what are they going to get in return? I just don't see a- anything out there.
1: Yeah, I think that it's fun to imagine. Whenever you hear that X player is available or Y player is available, you know I mean? Obviously, for instance, Kyle Corver is not going to help with the defense, but, you know, you hear he's available, and, and someone might be like, oh, well, the Spurs could even add more shooting. You know, they're not... But, you know, it's easy to, like, look at it in that context. But you really have to, like, look at the entire league. And I think that's a lot harder to do. Um, There's a lot of variables that go into that there. And when there is one team trading a player and 29 other teams, you know, it more than likely not, unless you've heard reports linking it, you can't imagine your team is one of them. Because, like I said, just 29 teams in the league, one team that's, like, a Butler-type player, especially with the Spurs asset situation, like you said. Like, they're going to... If there's a, ever, like, a bidding war for a player, like, oh, like, for the reason... If the Rockets are like, yeah, we're willing to put two picks, you know? Um, the Spurs aren't ever going to win that kind of thing with a team. So, I, I think that it's just... The market is really hard for them. It goes back to what we were talking about, about, like... You know, I know this is a very new thing for the Spurs. They might miss the playoffs, but just, like, have patience. Like, that... They might bring over uh, Molotinov, and the pick this year could be very good. Like... Even if they're not trying to tank, like, it still could be very yeah, good. Yeah, 11th get, right now. If they have season yeah. ends
0: today, they're not trying to tank. They're being competitive. Yeah. But that would be the 11th pick in the draft. Yeah. And Ben Ben Bornstein can find somebody good in the draft from that spot.
1: Yeah, you'll get DeJounte Murray back. They'll have uh, Lonnie Walker a year in the system. You'll have Derek White even better. There's just – there's a lot of good on the horizon, but you just kind of have to swallow it for now.
0: Yeah, and, and exactly. And, you know, you don't want to risk – if you know you're not going to win the championship, why are you going to risk a huge – you know, or just to get a, a sixth, you know – if you get let's just say you get um Trevor Reza, what, what do they become a Fitzy maybe? Six at best, like that's you know no, you said no. <laughs> maybe like seventh or sixth. You know, I don't know how much of a difference he's gonna make. Uh, you know, so that's the thing, and you plus you're giving up long some some long term assets just to get him. So and that's the thing too, is I feel like it's not just about one player they can add, it's like it's a defense is is like a huge part of like you, you just gotta have multiple defenders. You know, last year they were good still, even though they didn't have Kawhi because they had Danny Green, because they had Kyle Anderson, because they had DeJounte Murray. And now, you know, even if you get one, let's just say you get Ariza, he's you still got DeMar Rosen next to him on the, out on the perimeter. You still got Bryn Forbes, possibly. You still got you know Patty Mills coming off the bench. Marco Bellinelli. I mean, it's it's the it's the team, and these a lot of these guys don't have that that background as as, as um, you know good um, you know lead defenders like, like some of those players do. One of the, one of the guys that a lot of us um, you know myself and some of the people at the game brought up to some of the beat writers is that uh, you know Kyle Anderson was there <laughs> at the mid level exception. I mean. He nine million and he yeah. and he would have, he wouldn't have solved your, your perimeter part problem with the with the guards, but he can guard like your Kevin you know do do better against the Kevin Durant types, Luka Doncic types, those kind of players, uh, T. J. Warren types that have, been, that have been have been a real struggle for the Spurs' defense. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I I honestly don't. I know a lot of people ask about the trade market, and I, I don't see names out there. I mean, or either if I do see names, I don't see the Spurs having the the trade packages to get it. Like we we saw at Washington a few weeks ago. Wasn't the trade room mill because they, they're everybody's available from their team, and obviously a, a player that that might be attractive to Spurs would be somebody like Otto Porter Jr. You know, good three and D wing. But again, I don't see the the contracts that San Antonio has to send to Washington for for them to say yes. You know, so so again, it, I just don't see the trade market as as a very applicable area for the Spurs to get better. Somewhere somewhere to watch though is the the buyout market. You know, closer to March because maybe somebody like George Hill gets bought off from the Caps to, to go join a contender. Who knows? They have a chance at him at a, at a lower rate, than maybe the veteran minimum. So. So that's kind of something to watch, and, and honestly, I just the only improvement they're going to get defensively, in my opinion, right now, is just either getting better with with the amount of games, you know, reps, getting learning each, other, you know, learning where they need to be. Uh, maybe again, Derek White needs to get better, uh, just get more consistent, so Paul keeps him on the floor because they are better defensively with him. And then you know, who knows about Lonnie Walker's upside? Uh, we know that he has a talent, and and you know, he has that six five frame, but we don't know exactly how he's going to be in year one as a rookie. Okay, Colin. Let's go ahead and go into our, our last topic of the day, which is uh, previewing the, the upcoming games for the Spurs. Um, I'm going to first read you some background on the Spurs, how they're playing right now. At home, they are uh, four. They are. I forgot the record. Don't worry about the record. I'll just read the numbers that I have recorded here. At home, they're um, they're twentieth offensively but yet 12th defensively at home and they have the the winning percentage of a i mean the win expect efficiency of a 43.8 win team so so at home the spurs are play like a 43 win team on the road they're seventh offensively but 29th in in the league defensively i think we can all see see why based on their output lately uh on the road they're like a 27 win team so obviously huge distinction so so let's go ahead and base our predictions based off that uh, so, their first game Friday is against the Houston Rockets. The Rockets are 5 and 6 at home, I mean, at, at, away, because they're coming to San Antonio. They're 9th offensively on the road and 17th defensively. On the road, the Rockets play like a 37.8 win team. So, who do you have on that one Friday in San Antonio between Houston and San Antonio?
1: The Rockets really haven't been very good lately, but it's so hard. So, I know they lost. Um... They lost Ariza on the offseason, and they lost Luke and Mute. But, like, Ariza was pretty bad in the series against the Warriors. Luka and Mute was hindered with an injury, and Chris Paul was out. And they still almost beat the Warriors. A lot of the pieces that contributed to that are still there. I don't trust them being bad. Like, I think they're going to click eventually. Yeah. And, like, with how bad the Spurs have been on defense, I I, I can't trust it to not be them. Yeah. But but remember the
0: game's at home in San Antonio, yeah, that, that is true. And they're the San Antonio's 12th defensively in, in the AT&T Center,
1: and that is true. It's just when you have a player like Harden, I think that like that's just prime for him to like come so, alive
0: there. So you're gonna take Houston. I or, think I'm gonna take Houston. You're gonna take okay, that's okay. So you're gonna take Houston. Um, okay, so one. No. So oh and one oh real quick Spurs cast listeners so the record at home is six and three and four and eight on the road I just couldn't get the numbers in my head right I had them backwards so anyway yeah so Collin's taking Houston I'm actually taking the Spurs I, I still don't believe in the Rockets I, I, it's weird too I mean you see you see the next four games and one of the ones you're optimistic the Spurs are going to win is a Houston game of all games I just I don't like what the Rockets have been I don't I feel like they're still missing uh, they have a lot of issues defensively still. Um yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm going to take San Antonio. I feel like I. I do see a different Spurs team in the AT and T Center. We mentioned the Memphis game earlier. They almost beat them there. You know, obviously, you know, if if the refs call it a different way, maybe maybe they do get that win there. And they they did a pretty good game defensively against Memphis that that night. So I do like the Spurs' defense in at, at home. I feel like they're they're more confident. They have more swagger to them. They're they're more complete. They they talk to each other. They communicate. I don't know why their offense is so bad at home, but it is. But anyway, so I'm going to take San Antonio in that one. Okay, so you got Houston. I got San Antonio. Then on Sunday, the Spurs um, host the Portland Trail Blazers. The Blazers are five and five on the road, eleventh in offense on the road, twenty third in defense on the road. When the Blazers go on the road, they have the the win the win um, efficiency of a twenty eight win team. So, who do you have on Sunday between the Spurs and Portland?
1: I think I will take the Spurs in this one. I think it's just the uh, the matter of you know they have. Like you said, they do have some things going for them at home. Um, I, very quick tangent. I remember, and this might be part of the offensive stuff, I read an article last year that like one of their home court advantages is that uh, they play their music at exactly the decibel level that they're allowed to when the Spurs are on offense. So that like oh, on defense, the other teams can't like do yeah. that. You do see that. Uh, but I wonder now, if, because there are so many new players, because normally you don't have to communicate verbally on offense i wonder if now that there's so many new players if that is like causing them to struggle a little bit oh that's interesting able to like yeah like i said with rudy Gay's like i don't know what play call you're making patty like they do have to talk more since they're so new i wonder if that's like stifling them a little bit in some way
0: and then but, the fans too with the defense defense yeah. that's probably even harder too if they don't know the other. that's interesting yeah. Yeah, i like that yeah that's yeah. it that's a good thought so, there so
1: i i wonder if that and i you know they were pretty affected last year too and it was still a pretty new lineup so I, just a weird theory. But yeah, I, I do think that they'll that they'll take this one in Portland. I think that the the thing with the Spurs has been like, how was that game so close, either in a win or a loss, like the Grizzlies thing, and then followed by like, okay, they won this game somehow, followed by a terrible loss. I think, you know, they're so up and down, I, I do think that they would take this one.
0: Okay, I had trouble with this one. I, I just have that memory of that Portland game early in the season. I think it was like the second game of the season where Dame and CJ just came off screens easily and just hit threes and just got wherever they wanted. Now that was also a lot of that stuff was the guy who comes to my mind defending them was Powell. And so I feel like they just picked on Powell on night and he's not going to be there for this game. And also the Spurs are playing small now. So like they're, they're better. They're, they're able to switch those screens better when DJ, when, when Dame or CJ come off them. However, I just have seen that. like I think the majority of the, the, the players that have outscored the Spurs, the leading scorers each night are always guards. So I feel like this is, even though Portland's not a good team on the road right now, the statistics say, I'm going to go with my gut and I'm just going to say that Portland wins this game. I might be wrong, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if I'm wrong. So so you're taking San Antonio and I took Portland in this one. Um, okay, then the Spurs have Monday off and then on Tuesday they travel on the road to Utah. Utah, check this out. This is a weird team right here. Uh, <laughs> Utah is 2 and 6 at home. 19th offensively at home, 29th uh, defensively at home. So get again, in 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 Utah, they are 29th defensively. Check this out. On the road, they're they're eight and six at home. I mean, on the road, and they're and they're first defensively on the road. That's such a, I was like, I have I haven't got to do the research, or you know, I haven't really followed the Jazz that closely. So I'm like, how in the world are you the best defense on the road, the hardest place to play defense, but yet you're the you're one of the worst defenses in your own building where it's calm and you have your fans behind you. So anyway, that's just a weird stat. So so again, um, here's a, here it gets even worse with the Jazz at home. They're they're playing like a 24 win team, 24 win team in, in home in Utah. So, who do you have in this one where the Spurs are going to be in Utah? Um, uh, oh, actually, yeah, I read you the Spurs numbers, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, go ahead.
1: So, I think that uh, this is another team like Houston that I think maybe after last season they were a little bit overestimated. But I do think they'll eventually find their footing and be a good team. I do think that uh, it won't be this soon, though. I think the Spurs will take this game in Utah. Uh, like you said, those numbers, they're, they're weird enough that they're probably just indicative of, like, what do you say, two and six at home? That's two and six games, at home, you know? yeah. so that's that's one of those things that could easily yeah. bounce back and be like not a weird thing by the end of the season. But I think that um, I do think that the Spurs will take this one. I think that Aldridge will probably like Gobert is the type of player that he has problems against. But apparently, you know, I haven't been watching a ton of Jazz games, but just kind of what I've had heard with my ear on the pulse or whatever. Uh, Gobert hasn't been quite as uh, solid as he has been in recent years on defense. So I, I think that this will be an opportunity really for uh, the Spurs to try to get uh, LaMarcus and DeMar hot and just have like them go off for this game.
0: Okay. I'm actually with you there. I, I'm, I picked San Antonio as well. Uh, again, I, I, I do cause I, since I haven't seen San Antonio and Utah play this year with these two current um, makeups of the roster, I'm going to go and trust more so the numbers. So I do think that San Antonio has the edge statistically, um, you know, Mitchell might give him a tough time. So maybe like somebody like Joe Ingles, but I feel like overall Santo San just has more offense than, than the jazz, you know, do on defense. And again, defensively, the jazz don't look good at home. So, so there's gotta be something there to that. So I'm going to pick Utah as well. Okay. And then, um, then the Spurs have a back to back on Wednesday in Los Angeles, uh, against the Lakers. So, uh, the Lakers, this will be their third time. I think Santona's San has seen them already. So the Lakers are six and four at home. They are 18th offensively and 18th defensively when they're playing in the Staples Center. The Lakers have are, are on track. To, uh, they're playing with the, the efficiency of a 41 win team in in L. A. Uh, at home. Um, so who do you have in this one between the Spurs and Lakers on the second night of a back to back?
1: Yeah, I, I think the Lakers are going to win this one. I think that um, I was and you know I think that they play their another game against the Lakers upcoming not too far from now. Right? Yeah, they play them in the next ten games for sure. So the Spurs, I think are incredibly lucky to get all four of their games against the Lakers out so early because I think that they will look different, not only roster-wise, but just like... I mean, all LeBron teams are like this in the first yeah. year where they don't look... And I'm not, I don't think they're going to be a championship contender, but, you know, the Heat looked like at this at the beginning when LeBron first came. The Cavs looked like that, and both those teams made the finals. Again, I don't think the Lakers will make the finals, but I think they will be a much better team yeah. in March and April. So I think the Spurs are incredibly lucky to... Um, Get that out of the way now, but I do think that the Lakers are starting to get better. You can see that improvement mm-hmm, for sure, um, and so I think that I, I think that they're going to win this game against the Spurs.
0: Okay, I'm with you. I picked the Lakers as well. You know that 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 night, the Spurs actually came back from 14 um, in LA that that first time that they played the Lakers and they won that game. And this is a, that was a game again. Brendan Ingram wasn't there. Uh, I think Rondo was out at that time. Um, so and this is just this is a Lakers team now with, with more more games under their belt. They're they're clicking better. Um, you know on both ends so I'm going to take the Lakers as well um in that in that contest and I agree with you I think the Lakers will be a different looking team by the time the playoffs do roll around where they will be a, a, a you know a much higher seed than, than where they're at right now okay um let's go and go through a few more promotional um uh, topics before we, we head out for the first cast uh, episode 519 um, just continue checking ProjectSpurs.com over um, on, on the site. We have Steven Anderson's latest uh, recap of the Spurs-Timberwolves game. Well, I mean, basically, Steven like, breaks it down, how, how, they, how they lost so quickly in that game. There was no three standout players that game because, you know, that was, that was not a good performance by the Spurs. Uh, we had, we added a new writer, Sarah uh, Saleya. She has her first piece up called The Gate, where she talks about how if it is indeed the fact that the Spurs aren't going to, you know, win as much as, as Spurs fans, media are used to seeing, then, uh, you know, it, she, she uses some, some some different references on, on, on you know, on, on portraying that uh, f- for the for, for the Spurs. Um, also on Project Spurs, Colin Reed, as of Wednesday, he released his latest piece. Well, you're Colin Reed. <laughs> Colin released his latest piece um, called Examining Davis Bertanz's Effectiveness. And since you're here, Colin, the writer, go ahead and uh, please explain a little bit about that piece, what fans can look for.
1: Yeah, so I wonder, uh, I didn't realize it until I had the idea. so. Uh, sometimes I have these ideas ahead of time and I sit down and I write about them sometimes I have an idea of the night of or I have to be thinking of the idea of the night of so I was kind of watching the game kind of thinking and Bruton just popped into my head and it wasn't until later that I realized that might have been subconscious because when he came into the game uh, against Milwaukee and he like scored 15 quick points you know I just remember having like Milwaukee fans like who is this guy like what's his average like why is he like and so I had this like funny imagery of like This, like, super dominant team, like, all their fans are, like, (laughs) thinking, like, this guy that blows this up on the boards or you know, just scoring a bunch. Um, But, really, he has been doing really well this year. I think that, you know, his minutes aren't all that different than they were last season, but I do think that this season is the first season he's had a consistent role with the team. Mm -hmm. And I think role players are incredibly important, and I think when you start looking at the Spurs role players the Spurs are finding the right roles for them, and they're starting to play well. And I think Bertans is one of them. I think you can make the argument, it looks like Pearl's kind of settling into his role yep, before for Tom sure. comes back. Patty's playing really good. And so I think that is a promising thing out of all of this. Is, and this isn't like a call to bring Bertans off the bench, This is, or, uh, into the starting lineup. This isn't a call to play him more. I think they found the perfect role for him. And I think that looking at these numbers for Bertans and knowing that the other role players are starting to do better and better... You're looking at okay. It always was going to be harder to figure out Lamarcus and Demar and how they interact, and like once you can figure that out, like this could be a, like a low playoff level team, and and that's really kind of I think what they need to work on right now. Obviously, other than the defense, but in terms of being consistent on offense. So, just looking at that specifically through the lens of Bertons and showing that like there are there are some bright spots. Like obviously they've had some rough patches, but. I think the role players are playing really well, and that that could end up winning them a couple games. Something that you just
0: mentioned that that just came back to my brain that I was thinking about earlier. I wanted to say, it, but I just forgot about it. and Now you just brought it back. Is about Patty real quick? Was uh the role like you just mentioned last year? He was out of his role. Remember, Pop had him starting because Danny Green wasn't playing very good on certain nights. So, so Pop would actually make Patty a starter, and it was just a, it was just not his normal role. So all of a sudden Patty's now back in his comfortable, you know, coming off the bench, um, a point guard rolling hand. He's doing well in that, you know, and, and we're seeing it this year, even without Manu next to him, he's still playing really well for the, for the team, uh, leadership both on the court and then off the court as well. So, um, yeah, so that's just something that I wanted to throw out there. now that Patty's back in his role, like you just mentioned with Bertens, um, that, that's a huge, that's a huge part of these, these role players, you know, being successful, um, uh, next, uh, just wanted uh, again, if you want to check out that Spurs 10 game evaluation that I mentioned earlier, volume two, it's up on projectspurs.com uh Tom Petrini's latest piece uh it's called How LaMarcus Aldridge Busted His Slump and that's where Tom goes through this was written prior to the Minnesota game so at that time in the last 3 games before that LaMarcus Aldridge had played a little bit better and Tom went through some, some of the the reasons for that uh a stat that that uh, kind of just going around everywhere is is that the Spurs are 9 and 0 undefeated when when LaMarcus scores 20 points in a game so that's just something again where the Spurs do need that second consistent all-star to be a pretty good team and it shows there in being undefeated and then lastly um Benjamin Borstein's latest uh, prospect watch is over Daniel Gafford, a 6'11 big out of um, Arkansas. And, again, now that the Spurs, well, right now, they, uh, Colin and I recording this, the Spurs would get the 11th pick as of today, and they have the 30th pick. So, again, Ben's continuing to, to scout um, to check ahead for the draft and see who, who's going to be there for the Spurs, uh, depending on where they fall um, in the standings uh, for later on this April. So, for Colin Reed, Paul Garcia, thank you. Have a great day.